the midst of so much gloom and pessimism in many parts of the world that we've seen this year, or perhaps even in your own heart, we're not to wring our hands. The angel said to the frightened shepherds 2,000 years ago, Fear not. Jesus says, Let not your heart be troubled. Have you ever been asked, maybe you have even this year, to make some kind of Christmas list for someone who wants to buy you a present? And, you know, sometimes that can be a little bit of a challenge. Maybe you've wondered, okay, well, I don't want to put something too expensive down there for fear that they'll think that I'm trying to be extravagant. You don't want to put something too inexpensive down for fear that, well, they'll think, maybe you think it's a trivial thing or they can't buy more. Is it possible that I have tended to overthink this? Yes, that's certainly possible as well. It's just a little hard to do that. But this year, as we've made our Christmas list, my guess is it does look a little bit different because things are different this year. And some things that normally are just assumed to be present this year because of all we've been through in 2020, well, some of those things are just not present. And things that are more important to us, we've been looking for. And so on our Christmas list this year, for lots of us, we've sort of got down things, at least mentally, things like love and joy and peace and hope. And today we come to the second of those as we go through this series that I'm calling Making a List, and that's joy. How do we think about joy? You know, for our family, our kids are getting a little bit older. They're not little anymore by any means. And we've talked some this year about how joy sort of changes over the years for Christmas, right? Because when they're little, it's all about Christmas morning and the excitement of presents. Can't wait to dig in and open them up, dump out the stockings, all those things. Everybody's so excited. And then you get to the point, well, that's not quite as exciting as it used to be. And so there's a sense of, well, how do we find joy after things have changed some? So I'd like for us to think about that today. How do we find joy in something more than maybe in the presence? Because most of us know a lot of the stuff we give and get doesn't bring lasting joy. So what does? I want to think about that by turning to Luke chapter 2. We're in the heart of the Christmas story. We'll get there in just a minute. We're going to spend the rest of this series next Sunday and then Christmas Eve really talking about the Christmas story itself. And Luke tells that story. He tells us that Mary was found to be pregnant, right? It's the work of the Holy Spirit. She's never been with a man. This is a miraculous event. And then it says at the beginning of chapter 2 that Caesar Augustus, the Roman emperor, uh, makes a ruling and he says that everyone in the whole empire has to go to their hometown and they have to register. It's like a census, basically a tax. And so Caesar Augustus commands it and everybody moves. Okay, Caesar was maybe the most powerful man who had ever lived up to that point and he's still pretty high on list of most powerful people in history. And so his word had real authority. And so Mary and Joseph... These two people that most in the empire had never heard of go from Nazareth in the north of Palestine to Bethlehem in Judea in the south of ancient Palestine to the city known as the home of David, the great king, the home of the kings, and there they register. But it's also there that, that Mary gives birth. 
And when one of the other few details of the story, we find that there was famously no room in the inn, and so Jesus, the baby, is laid in a manger because they're probably in some kind of stable, maybe even in a cave, and he's laid where the animals would feed. Well, that's not exactly what you would expect of someone who's going to change history. And in fact, I think Luke gives us some interplay between Augustus in Rome, this powerful man who had everything at his disposal, the wealth that he could possibly want, with Jesus in this forgotten place, born to forgotten people. And how that looks, the difference between the two. And so we find Jesus laying in a manger. And the question is, these two unknown people, one of whom gives birth, How will the world respond to this? How's everyone going to see this child? Is anyone going to have any reaction to him being born at all? And what we find out is there is a powerful reaction to that. Luke chapter 2, it begins in verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. These shepherds. Lots of work has been done on the life of a shepherd in the ancient world, and there's one writer who comes a little bit later than the New Testament who says that shepherds were all thieves, that they tended to confuse what was belonged to others with what belonged to them, and, and they sort of had this reputation of going around taking stuff. Well, that is a little later, and we don't really know that all shepherds were that way, but it seems that some were. There's also some scholars who think that because of where Bethlehem is and where these shepherds were, they may have been watching over the priestly flock. In other words, the the sheep that are going to be offered at the temple on the altar. Maybe true, maybe not. But what we do know is that shepherds were really at the bottom of the social ladder. They were people that were sort of forgotten by most everyone. They're out in the field while everyone else is in town, literally forgotten by them, just sort of there to take care of the flocks. They are the lowliest. And yet, what we find out is, when the king comes, he's not in Rome waiting on some kind of powerful parade. What happens is the shepherds are told. Verse 9. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, to the shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. And that's what we see. Throughout Scripture, what we see is the glory of the Lord is some kind of bright light. It's hard to even imagine what it is, brighter than anything else, probably brighter than anything we could produce even with our technology. And people are immediately afraid, and what angels have to say is just what this angel said in verse 10, do not be afraid. But then this, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Good news of great joy for all the people. Sort of a throwaway line in a way, almost forgotten. But it's not just good news of great joy for the people of Palestine, not good news of great joy just for the people around those shepherds or the Jews in general, but for all the people. There is something globally good about this, universally powerful about the news that is being announced that will bring joy to all people. This was important for every person on the face of the earth then and every person who's lived on the face of the earth since then. For every one of us. 
joy for all people. And the question is why? Because of who he was. Because of who this baby was. Now, who was he? Luke uses three terms to describe him. He talks about him being Savior and Messiah and Lord. Well, what does that mean? I want to take those a little bit out of order. The first one would have been the term that the, the shepherds would have been most familiar with. Messiah. It simply means anointed one. What it basically pointed to was the king. So here again, we have Caesar Augustus in Rome, and we have Jesus in Bethlehem. Who's the real king? Who really is anointed king? Well, everyone would have said it's Augustus, the most powerful man in the world. But God is saying it's Jesus. The Messiah had been prophesied. If we look in the Old Testament, we see them pointing forward to the Messiah, and it's Jesus. He's the one who's going to lead his people, who's going to throw off oppression, and they thought that meant raise up an army, throw off Rome. It meant something a little bit different. But they would have been familiar with that, and the fact that the Messiah had come would have brought them great joy. This would have been Hundreds of years waiting to be fulfilled in this moment. So yes, they would have been excited. Second term, Lord. Now that can mean lots of things in the ancient world. Sometimes when you said Lord, it was just a sign of respect to the person that you're talking to, right? Maybe someone who is your superior. And so you call them Lord, but certainly it also pointed to God. Now how the shepherds heard that and how the angels meant it might have been two things that were a little different. Maybe the shepherds didn't understand completely, but I believe what the angels are talking about, we're telling them and are telling us, is that Jesus is not only a baby, a human being born in Bethlehem, he is God. And that's good news. That should bring joy to all the people. They understood God. But that third term, Savior, now, something we sort of commonly throw around, right? We talk about Jesus as Savior. That's not unheard of. We speak of it in this room. But what's interesting is there's only two places in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, only two places that Jesus is called Savior. Here and one place in John. And what we'll find is that Jesus has talked about saving people. We'll look at that in a couple weeks. But... This is not a phrase that the Jews tended to throw around in the ancient world. It's not a, a word that they used. And what we find is when Paul begins to write and other New Testament writers write to Gentiles, they begin to use the word Savior. You see, this is good news for all people, not just among the Jews. Again, the contrast. It was said in Rome, Caesar is Lord. It was also said, Caesar is our Savior. Savior was used by the Gentiles in part to talk about someone who saved them from some kind of sickness. So if you applied some kind of medication, you saved me. That makes sense. You're my Savior. It was also talked about in political terms. A great political leader who saved the country, maybe a military leader who takes an army and fights off an enemy, or Caesar himself, is Savior. Jesus is Messiah, the King, Lord God, the Savior, the one who would bring salvation to all people. It was salvation that maybe people weren't expecting, but salvation nonetheless. And again, we're going to talk about that more later on. Well, they've got their sign, a baby wrapped in cloths, which was normal, 
lying in a manger, which is not normal. And so these shepherds head off. I mean, they've just seen one angel, and then this host of angels appears, like an army of angels. Caesar has his army to go and conquer other nations and bring them under Roman domination. God has his army, but they're just for praise. They see all that, and then they go looking in Bethlehem for a baby, wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Now, Bethlehem's not that big a place. And babies in feeding troughs are not that common. So it couldn't have been that hard to find Jesus, but they did find him. And they encounter this family and they tell them all about it. And then this is what we read down in verse 17. When they had seen him, Jesus, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Now my guess is they took off that night. And they probably talked to their family and their friends. And they probably talked to people they encountered throughout that week and the weeks that followed. But my guess is that around campfires throughout ancient Judea, for years and even decades, these shepherds told the story. The story of the night that they saw an angel and heard the news of the Messiah, the Lord, the Savior. And they heard a multitude, a host of angels praising God. This story was told over and over again. These men experienced joy. So what do we, what do we learn from that? What does their story teach us about joy? To me, it's a pretty simple lesson. Joy is meant to be shared. They experienced it. They heard it. They understood it. And they just couldn't keep it to themselves. As soon as they saw Jesus and saw this was true, they had to leave and they had to share this message with anyone who would hear it because joy is meant to be shared. Now we get that, right? We get good news and what do we want to do? We want to tell someone, tell our spouse, tell our parents, tell our kids. We want to share the good news. We find out there's going to be a baby born. We're going to be grandparents. We find out we've got good grades. We find out the promotion's on the way. Whatever it is, we want to share that good news. Joy is meant to be shared. I think that's universal. And I've got a little video of a little girl named Joey that I think illustrates that well. You know, sometimes we, uh, we get grown up and we forget how to share joy, don't we? But she still remembers. And I think that's a great thing. We want to share joy. So this Christmas season, how do we share the joy that the shepherds experience? Three things. 
First of all, find joy in things that last. You know, we agonize, right? We agonize over what to buy because we want to buy the perfect gift for our kids or for our parents or for somebody we know who has everything that they want and need, and yet we need to do something to show that we care. We agonize over that, and yet so many of those gifts by New Year's are on a shelf somewhere in a closet, and we've forgotten basically what they were. We need to find joy in things that really last. And we know what lasts. We know that the joy that we see described in this story lasts because it changes eternity. And when we recognize that we've been offered salvation through Jesus Christ, that our sins can be forgiven, that we can spend eternity praising God, just like this angel host, that doesn't go away this week. That lasts for eternity. And so we need to identify the things that bring us joy that really lasts. Now, happiness, that's pretty fleeting. That comes and goes. It's dependent on our circumstances. We're happy for a moment, and before we even recognize we're happy, the happiness is gone. But we can find joy in things that continue to be there, even when our circumstances don't point to happiness. Second, allow joy to be part of your everyday Again, happiness, well, that's dependent on how the day is going. But there are things that bring real joy that are blessings from God, things that He has given us. This is one of them. That we have salvation, that we worship a powerful God who is at work. A God who fills our lives with His presence through His Spirit. That matters on the day-to-day. Okay, Happiness, we'll find some days... And some days, it just won't be that present. But the fact that we serve a powerful God who's at work in us, who offers us something more even than this life, who ushers us into eternity, there's real joy in that. And then finally, share joy with the people around you. Joy is meant to be shared. People around us, they need to know that God really does love them that God loved them enough to come and be with them. Let me encourage you to share the joy that you find in Christ. Lots of ways to do that. If you look around in the foyer today, you'll find some cards that are there to invite someone to be with you. You can worship with us Christmas Eve, 6 and 8 o'clock. It's going to be online as well, but those cards say all that. It's just a perfect way to say, hey, join us on Christmas Eve. I'd love to have you be a part of what we're going to do. We're going to sing a lot of traditional things. We're going to do candlelight, communion. It's going to be a great way for us to celebrate the Christmas season and celebrate the joy that we find in Jesus. And it's an easy way, because people are receptive to this at Christmas, it's an easy way to introduce someone to the joy that we experience whenever we gather for worship. You know, joy is meant to be shared. And if I'm honest with you, I don't always feel joyful. There are times when I struggle with that. But you know, the good news really is that joy is available to us. It is good news that brings joy to all people. And that's us. Even when life isn't exactly what we want it to be, even when we're struggling with something that's a big problem, even when we don't feel very happy, we can experience joy. And that joy 
is meant to be shared. Let's pray together. God, fill us with your joy. Make us a joyful people. Even when things don't always feel like they're going the way we want them to go, even when we're struggling, and, and sometimes this year we have, God, help us to be a people who both experience and express joy because of your presence in our lives. You know, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and continue to worship.